Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. And coming up on today's United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Stephen Goff. He has been a writer for the Washington Post for almost 30 years now, covering a ton of men's World Cups, ton of women's World Cups. He was over in France for all of the USA games, including their deciding victory in the championship game over Holland. He covers the NWSL. He covers the U.S. men's national team, Major League Soccer, USL Championship. We'll talk women's soccer, NWSL, U.S. men's national team, Major League Soccer, USL Championship, and even the ICC. He's not a fan, folks, but we'll get his take on that as well. Stephen Goff, and then the North Carolina Courage. A lot of you know that I've been the longtime voice of the North Carolina Courage and the North Carolina Football Club. Just yesterday, the four players from the Courage who helped the USA win their fourth World Cup, talking about Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkemper, Crystal Dunn, Jessica McDonald. They had a press conference. We'll bring you their take on what happened in France and what's going to happen in the future of the NWSL, maybe building a stadium for the Courage and the men's team and the ICC coming to Wake Med Soccer Park in August. A good show. It starts with Stephen Goff from the Washington Post after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to find out more. I now, am once again, this here's your United host, Soccer Dean Coaches Linky. Podcast, and as you heard earlier, it's going to be heavily focused again on the Women's World Cup. Coming up a little bit later, you'll hear from Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkemper, Crystal Dunn, Jessica McDonald, as well as their head coach, Paul Riley, who was on a couple weeks ago and correctly predicted a 2-0 USA win in the World Cup final. A man who was right there front and center. He's been covering soccer for, geez, over 25 years now for the Washington Post. And he's a regular on our program talking about the great Stephen Goff. Stephen, thanks for being with us. Hey, Dean. Great to join you, man. Yeah, pleasure. And uh, I know you had a long but uh, great trip over in France. I also know you were excited to get back to your family, of course. But let's start with the Women's World Cup. You know, mission accomplished. Just talk about, uh, I guess, the lead up, what happened during and after, kind of your general overall view on the USA women capturing their fourth World Cup title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they went, they went into the, the tournament as a slight favorite uh, based on their their history, their experience, their depth. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think there was a there was a feeling out there that someone other than the U.S. might win this thing. Uh, perhaps France as the host and a, um, <laughs> a team that was really due for uh, for a trip to the final. Something they haven't been able to accomplish uh, since their rise the last few years. Um, and, you know, the question was not, you know, we, we knew the U.S. would breeze through the group stage. Uh, we knew they would get through round of 16. Um, <laughs> and they were on this collision course with France in the quarterfinal. So that was the big question, you know, was France up to the task? Uh, was the moment too big for them at home? A lot of pressure. 
an expectation. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was the big hurdle for the U.S. Once they got past that, I think um, championship was in sight. Steve, as you know, because you're a writer, there were stories on top of stories, some stories perhaps they made too big a deal of, some maybe they're still waiting to see, for instance, the equal pay thing. Let's kind of go through all the stories. First off, the 13 nothing win over Thailand, the celebrations, it drew a lot of talk. Uh, what was your take on that 13 nothing game and the celebrations that followed all the goals? Yeah, I mean, the, the celebrations were to some <laughs> to some, what some people thought was were excessive. Um, you know, you're, you're breathing to a, a huge victory. The opponents <laughs> embarrassed, humiliated. So there's something to be said for <laughs> playing it a little cooler, especially when the score became embarrassing and ridiculous. Um, on the other hand, you know, these players are in a World Cup, so <laughs> they're excited about scoring in a World Cup. Uh, especially a young player like Rose Lavelle, Mallory Pugh. Um, you know, if there was the argument that, hey, if this, you know, a men's team wouldn't have been criticized for celebrating after the goals, uh, yes, they would have. I mean, we've seen it before where, um, you know, there's, there's some issue with how players celebrate in lopsided games. Um, <laughs> you know, you saw in that Brazil... Germany semifinal in 2014 World Cup men where, uh, you know, Brazil was humiliated at home by Germany. You know, Germany stopped celebrating the goals. So, um, you know, there's certainly a decorum there. But, um, you know, I don't blame the U.S. for wanting to score a lot of goals. You always want to play hard. Um, And, uh, you know, you're talking about goal differential in the group stage as well, so you keep that in mind. Um, but the celebrations, eh, you know, I, I can certainly understand the criticism. Well, you use the word decorum because I think that now is going to be a key word because they captured their fourth World Cup. They do have big personalities led by Megan Rapino, who ended up uh, kind of stealing all of the spotlight there, understandably winning the Golden Boot and Best Player and all that stuff, and then using that platform to say no way to a visit with Donald Trump and then more on equal pay and more on LGBT and, and all that stuff. So decorum... The partying, the uh, what feels like an excessive hangover, um, some of the viral stuff that's out there, you know, with the players maybe not paying attention as they're signing autographs. You've seen it all, heard it all, like, and then and then this focus now on equal pay. Although, I mean, I will say, like, when Megan Rapinoe was on CNN and a couple other places, I felt like she was very fair to U.S. soccer, saying we want to try to collaborate, want to try to do this together. How do you see all that following out? It's kind of open ended, Steve, but I know you know what I'm talking about. The the excessive partying. And, and maybe some of the language and all that stuff. I mean, is that excusable because they won their fourth World Cup, or what's your take on it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was excessive partying. They won the World Cup. They, <laughs> they celebrated like there's no tomorrow, and I don't, I don't see any problem with that at all. Um, you know, you look, at, you look at what hockey teams do after they win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. They're, they're, they're partying and drinking and traveling around with the trophy and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, you want a world championship. There's, there's no, I have no, absolutely no issue with how they've celebrated. Um, they have the spotlight and certainly players like Rapino um, want to use that platform to, uh, 
to discuss important issues. And um, <clears throat> the equal pay is one of them. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that, <laughs> you know, people make this out to be a players versus the federation uh, hostile situation. It's really not. Um, Rapino, even, I think it was the day before the final, said that, look, you know, this federation has done amazing things for women's soccer. There's no federation in the world that has backed their women's soccer program like the USSF has. And um, we're, we're grateful for it. But at the same time, we want to, you know, we want to nudge them along and, and um, you know, move into the, the next phase. Uh, which is um, bringing equal pay to the women uh, for the women. Um, so uh, you know, there's there's always there's always a, a a middle area there where you know you just you don't see or hear about very often. Um, so yeah, I, I think they'll they'll reach a <laughs> they'll reach an agreement at some point in the next month or two. What do you know about these donations that are being made? Do they go to U.S. soccer and then part of the pool that perhaps you know gives them a kickstart toward equal pay because you get enough of these $529,000 donations, next thing you know, you, you could have equal pay, right? Like, what do you know about how that is working as they you know mediate the equal pay issue? I don't know much about it. I think these companies are using it to promote their brands. Um, yeah, they're throwing some money out there, but you know, where were they? You know, where were they over the years in terms of you know um, <coughs> supporting the NWSL um, and and other uh, and other causes? So I don't know. I mean, the players will will receive the money one way or another. I guess I, I, I don't know much about it. Yeah, uh, you'd think that it would help the cause, though, for sure. And certainly it seems like you're getting, you know, mainstream celebrities, you know, even Snoop Dogg, who's always been able to sort of cross different lines and barriers, uh, you know, with a major shout-out for equal pay. So the momentum is there. You, you feel like it's uh, not if but when at this point, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, they're going into – mediation and they're going to attempt to solve this uh, <clears throat> solve this issue and um, I think it'll uh, it'll reach a conclusion at some point. Well now they're back, they're with their clubs, um, you'll hear later on this podcast coming up uh, the four players for the North Carolina Courage, you know without question the best team in NWSL, lost only one game last year, back in first place. Now they get all these players back. Uh, you know, from where you sit, knowing how many players from the NWSL played over in the World Cup, I'm pretty sure it was the number one represented league. The the league is working. Now it needs to keep working, right? They need to continue to ride the the passion and, and progress of this latest World Cup, correct? Uh, yeah. No, that, that's a big question. Is you know, can they? You know, can they? Can they? Um, benefit from a World Cup bump um, in, in media attention and in, in ticket sales and sponsorship. Um, I mean, we've seen it already with the ESPN uh, taking on 14 matches the rest of the year, um, <coughs> Budweiser sponsorship. Uh, you know, last week, this past weekend, we saw, uh, you know, a slight bump in attendance, um, and that was without the U.S. players stepping on the field yet for their for their respective clubs. You know, I think we'll see 
uh, <clears throat> a greater impact this weekend. I know here in Washington with Rose Lavelle and Mallory Pugh back in market, uh, you know, they, they should do well at the gate. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I, I think the league needs needed something like this. Um, you know, it's very strong in markets like uh, Portland. Um, Utah has done well, uh, Carolina to an extent. But, you know, for the most part, it's struggled in places like, you know, Houston, Chicago, certainly sky blue, New Jersey. Um, you know, D.C. DC team plays w- well without, outside the city and, and has trouble attracting people from, uh, from inside D.C. to come out there. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think they need uh, they need something like this, and um, this is this is their moment. Last question on the women before we move quickly to the men and MLS, and uh, and our time is wrapping up with Steve Goff. Do you expect many changes for the Olympics? That is, I think everyone's anticipating Joe Ellis will for sure stay on for the Olympics. Obviously, the rosters go down to 18, but you kind of feel like the 18 players will come from these 23 over in France, right? I don't expect too much different to you. Um. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see on all those fronts. I don't know if Jill's coming back. We'll you know, centering an option year. She's won two World Cups. You know, she might want to go do something else. I think there's, as the money increases in women's soccer around the world, the opportunities for um, well-paying coaching positions um, increases as well. Uh, you know, whether it's a national team or, or one of these big clubs in Europe <coughs> that's now paying more attention to women's, women's soccer. So, I don't know, I'm not so sure Joe comes back. We'll see. Uh, as far as the players, you know, I think some of the older players are are, are probably done with the national team, um, especially with a, a smaller roster for the Olympics. And typically, uh, at least with the U.S., you've seen younger players integrated into the into the um, <clears throat> first team at the Olympics. You know, Crystal Dunn did not make the World Cup team in 2015, but she was at the Olympics in 2016. You know, uh, Mallory Pugh is was was brought in. Um, so, you know, uh, does Carly Lloyd return? Um, Allie Krieger, you know, um, Becky Sauerbrunn. I, you know, the Olympics are so soon that I think, yeah, you're right. Most of them will be on the squad, but I, I think you'll might see a couple younger players uh, brought in. You know, someone like. Uh, Andy, Andy Sullivan, um, maybe Emily Fox, and you know players who need some some experience in a major tournament. Great take as always here with Stephen Goff, longtime writer for the Washington Post. He was in France with the U.S. women. He also covers the U.S. men, Major League Soccer, to soccer across the country. Take a quick break. Be back with Steve Goff to talk about the U.S. men's national team and Major League Soccer on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all those things. You need help. And who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with the United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, 
session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back here with Stephen Goff, longtime writer for the Washington Post, gave his take on the U.S. women, NWSL, and even the Olympics. Now we turn to the men. They made it to the Gold Cup final. I realize you weren't there because you were over in France watching the U.S. women win their fourth World Cup. Mexico beat the USA one to nothing. I was there, Steve, 63,000, felt like 55,000 Mexicans. Incredible atmosphere. When they scored, you had to run and hide because you were going to get drenched. But uh, Mexico, obviously the best team right now in the CONCACAF region. Your take on where Mr. Burhalter is right now with the U.S. men's team. Yeah, that's part of the process. This is his first major tournament. <laughs> He's integrating his system uh, and his plans, his players. Uh, you know, they needed U.S., even though they're in a rebuilding mode, needed to get to the final because, um, you know, they, they've traditionally been the one of the top two teams, and they're playing at home uh, for the most part, except when you're playing Mexico. It's not really a home game. Uh, so the, I think the, the, the minimum standard for the U.S. team in the, going into this tournament was getting to the final. They did that. Uh, you know, Mexico is the stronger program right now in CONCACAF. Mexico was the favorite, and uh, Mexico ended up winning the, winning the championship. Um, I didn't watch it. Uh, because I was in France, you know, I tried to keep tabs on it best I could, and you know, there was there seemed like some very strong performances, and then there were some shaky things, and you know, the, the Curacao game only being one nothing was certainly a cause for concern. But you know, big picture, um, you know, Berhalter's building to, <coughs> towards the next World Cup qualifying cycle, and um, you know, that's coming up in a little over a year. So, um, you know, I think I think things are fine. People yell and scream and panic, especially on social media over things. But, um, you know, he's, he seems to he seems to have a, a good grasp of things. And um, we'll, we'll see where this heads over the next uh, 12, 14 months. Having been there for the Gold Cup final and following a little bit closer than uh, perhaps I even expected to, but uh, being there live as well, it's an interesting dynamic. I wanted to get your take because obviously you've got Christian Pulisic, just a special player and could go down as one of the all-time greats, but unlike you know Landon Donovan and Alexi Lalas and some of the other ones that we really got behind, he doesn't play professionally here in this country. It's obviously better for the national team that he plays over there. Most of the team actually plays over overseas, which, uh, you know, shows that uh, we've got some great, incredible players. The future is bright with these youngsters. But as far as an identity or, or the country getting behind the team, it feels like because of those reasons, it may take a little bit longer. And, of course, not making that World Cup didn't help the situation. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think people understand how soccer works. It's global and, um, you know, players compete on a daily basis around the world. Um, they understand Christian Pulisic at Chelsea is um, is a big deal. And, you know, the, the visibility of leagues around the world here in the U.S. is such that it doesn't seem foreign at all. I mean, 
the Premier League is Premier League matches are Huge. as accessible or more accessible than you know MLS games. Right. So yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't agree with that much. Okay, very good. All right, MLS is uh, rolling along. They're going to add more teams. You know, why not? People are willing to pay the big entry fees and everything else. And now they're talking about St. Louis. And, of course, uh, some familiar names back in the circle. You, having been at the Washington Post forever, covered Bruce Arena forever, including his time at D.C. United and probably Virginia and everything else. He's done a nice job coming back to New England, given that program, which was down in the dumps, a, a big spark it could shape out for a really fun end here and a stretch down to the playoffs for the entire league, but start with what Bruce has done. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bruce's experience and his insight um, has has paid off, and this is a sign that New England is, you know, finally, after dragging their feet, um, is uh, perhaps ready to make a commitment. Um, you know, the league has passed New England by over the years. You know, the Crafts were one of the original investors, and they helped keep the, the league alive when it was in trouble around 2001, 2002. Uh, but they haven't spent the money. They haven't built their own soccer stadium. Um, they've been uh, one of the low-budget teams over the years in MLS. And now, you know, they made a big splash with Bruce. Bruce is not... Uh, Bruce is not there on a minimum wage <laughs> salary. You know, he's he's making a lot of money. Uh, they've gone out and gotten a player uh, from Mexican League, the forward, the Argentine forward, and they seem willing to spend more money. So you, you combine all those factors, and perhaps New England will be um, a, a player of sorts down the stretch of the MLS season and, and maybe heading into postseason. Um you know, I, I think Bruce looks at it more towards next year um, because there's only so much you can do uh, when you jump into a team midseason. They do have this transfer window now, but, um, you know, you, you have limitations. So, uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a positive sign for, for the revolution and a positive sign for soccer in New England in general, which has just been kind of treading water on the MLS stage for, for many years. Sticking with soccer, uh, Loudoun United, USL Championship. They've got some young players that come up and down with D.C. United. Donovan Pines played as early as 10 days ago and then got the start for D.C. United against the New England Revolution. So, obviously, that's working up and down. I mean, it seems like the kind of the, just the collaboration now between USL Championship and Major League Soccer is working better than ever. What's your take on that, Steve? Yeah, I think so. I mean, here in Washington, they had a long-time relationship with the Richmond team. But, you know, Richmond was an independent club. They had their own ideas. Now D.C. is operating Loudoun United, which is uh, in the western suburbs. And, you know, there's a stronger stronger bond connection there, similar philosophy. Um, and that's what all MLS teams want. They want to they want to second division club where, you know, the playing style and the coaching philosophy is, uh, is the same. Um, and, of course, you want the geo- geographic convenience of it. So it's definitely helped D.C. A uh, player like Donovan Pines, who's on the uh, under-23 national team uh, watch list, you know, heading towards 
and towards the Olympics has, has benefited from it, playing for both Loudon and getting call-ups with D.C. United. Um, a young player from the under-17s, Griffin Yao, who's a terrific talent for the, for the U.S. Uh, under-17 national team, is, uh, has done the same, playing for both the second division club at USL and um, <clears throat> with the big club at D.C. United. So, the, you know, this is the situation you want, and um, it helps the players, it helps the club, and uh, certainly it helps a, a club's uh, marketing and branding because you have an, an extension of, uh, of the main organization in, a, um, you know, in another part of a, of a metropolitan area or a region. Finally, Steve, uh, as we're spending time with Steve and Goff with the Washington Post, 25-plus years covering soccer in this country. you got to read his stuff, folks. He's fantastic, always has been, always a great take. He even covers college soccer. Of course, Maryland winning the national championship. But we're going to save our discussion on college soccer for another time because I want to end with the fact that you've got all these European teams com- coming over now, getting ready to play almost every day now. There'll be some games at FedEx Field right there in your market. Uh, any games that you're especially looking forward to? seeing any teams you're especially looking forward to seeing not really <laughs> to be honest. i mean it's like it's like nfl preseason i i just i understand it i get it why, why people buy tickets you know it's their one opportunity to to see um to see big european clubs in in the u.s but you know the, the games are the games aren't very good there's mass substitutions um, in most of the country. The weather is is atrocious, you know. Um, so I, I just, you know, here in Washington, we got Real Madrid against Arsenal next Tuesday, which on paper sounds great, but um, I don't know. I, I just don't. I don't. Uh, I don't find much uh, a value in in these games. I guess I'm. I guess I'm jaded. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't think they'll be using uh, yeah. your quotes for any of the promotional materials, by the way. No, no. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's a moneymaker. It's a marketing opportunity for these clubs. Uh, the, promoters, the promoters do well. Um, a lot of replica jerseys and scarves are sold. I will say this, to kind of switch you a little bit, I will say the ICC, as far as the women, will happen in later or middle August. And, you know, the Courage and, uh, you know, Lyon and Man City, Mm -hmm. uh, Atletico Madrid, I mean, I think that's going to be pretty exciting because, you know, they're – that's they're gearing up right before their start as well. But the, you know, you're talking about 40 players that played in the World Cup will be in yeah. North Carolina. So say some good things about that, at least, Steve. Go. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you there. I think the women's thing is the most intriguing this year um, because you're coming off a women's World Cup. You got Carolina, who's the best team in NWSL. Um, Olympic Lyonnais, Lyonnais, which is the the standard bearer, the the model for a, a big traditional European club devoting time and resources to women. Um, they're coming over, plus, uh, who's it, Atletico Madrid, yep. right? Best team in Spain, or one of the best teams in Spain. And um, who's our fourth team, Germany? Man City. German team? Oh, Man City, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, no, I, I, I find that uh, much more intriguing. You have them all in one location in a good setting, uh, playing over a few days. 
whereas the ICC for men is scattered. You know, it's all over the country, it's all over the world. Uh, you know, it's hard to get a feel for it as a tournament as a whole. Uh, the women, though, yeah, no, I think this is the start of something good. And really, in in women's soccer, you don't have the opportunity to play teams very often outside your league. I mean, certainly in Europe, you have Women's Champions League. Um, but here in the U.S., you know, the NWSL teams do not play in any kind of CONCACAF Champions League. There's no, there's no uh, Club World Cup for, for women's soccer. So, um, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I think the women's ICC is, uh, is something worth uh, paying attention to this year. All right, good stuff. Stephen Goff, longtime writer for the Washington Post. Coming up, you'll hear from the North Carolina Courage Press Conference welcoming back all four players from the USA, Crystal Dunn, Jessica McDonald, Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkemper. Also there was Abby Ursek from New Zealand, Dabinia from Brazil, Stephanie LeBay from Canada. More talk on women's soccer. I want to thank Stephen Goff. Up next, we'll hear from the Courage players who helped win the fourth World Cup for the USA. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that i found. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your Welcome back to the needs. United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap yesterday at Wakeman's soccer park in Cary, a press conference featuring the four players from the North Carolina Courage, your reigning NWSL champs, and also the team that currently sits in first place in the NWSL, getting it done without their World Cup stars. They had seven of them, by the way, including four that played for the USA, helping the USA win their fourth World Cup. That's Abby Dahlkemper, Crystal Dunn, Sam Mewis, and Jessica McDonald. They had a press conference yesterday at Wakebed Soccer Park that I emceed, and this is the the outtakes from that press conference. Enjoy. Good afternoon. Great to see so many members of the media as we are indeed part of an exciting time for women's soccer and honored to be with these incredible athletes. Going to do something a little bit different here. We're going to be unofficial and just first salute these incredible athletes for helping their team win the fourth World Cup in USA's history. Well done, ladies. All of them are going to be available for one-on-one interviews as well after this. And then also Steve Malik, our fine owner, and Kurt Johnson, our president and general manager. We're going to bring them up to the dais for some comments as well about building toward the ICC, the new stadium, and all of the work that's being done around women's soccer and even men's soccer as well. With that, let's meet the fine members of our dais. Of course, I call him the best women's professional coach in the world. And I think he's shown that doing it with these superstars and even without them. Let's hear it for Paul Riley. Fantastic left back. I don't think gets enough credit for playing left back for the U.S. Women's National Team. You know what she can do as a 10 and a forward for our team, of course, from North Carolina, Crystal Dunn. 
sitting next to her, Sam Mewis, two goals and an assist, and a great starter for Jill Ellis. Did an amazing job here for Sam. A regular at center back for the U.S. team. Started every game for the USA. Just a rock back there. Can drop dimes as well. Incredible server of the ball. Abby Dahlkemper. And, of course, we're so proud of the job she's done to be a great part of the team. Of course, a key part of our team, the MVP of last year's NWSL championship game. Also started at North Carolina. Jessica McDonald, well done. I'm going to ask one question to each of them and then uh, I want to talk to Paul about integrating them back into the team and then we'll open it up for questions. And then, as I told you earlier, we'll bring up Steve and Kurt as we're so excited to celebrate what they've done. And we'll start with you, Crystal Dunn, obviously, and we'll talk about playing left back and not getting that credit but accepting that role. Talk about uh, what it means to maybe play a position that you don't love, but you did it so great for the USA. Yeah, I think my experience at the World Cup was challenging in itself. Um, Obviously, playing against top opponents, but doing it in a position that, you know, I never deemed was my best position. I think um, anyone who's kind of followed my journey knows that I speak highly about, you know, just feeling like you can impact the game regardless of where you're on the pitch. Um, You know, it's it's, it was an honor to obviously be um, in that role and be a starter, a left back um, in the World Cup. But I think, um, you know, it was challenging. And I think everyone just needs to always accept your role and do it to your best ability. And regardless of if that's your number one position or not, it's just about impacting the game regardless of where you are on the field. Well said, Crystal. Certainly proud of you. And speaking of pride, Samantha Mewis, the job you did coming back from a little Knicks as well and to earn that first team spot every single time for all the big games and then a couple goals and an assist. It had to be a great feeling for you to always earn the starting lineup for all the big games. We just all went into this knowing we were going to be expected to play whatever we were going to be expected to play whatever role was given to us. And I think that um, it was awesome that I got to start some games. I was really honored and and um, it's just such a competitive group that anytime you get playing time, it's a huge deal. So I was honored to get the opportunities that I did on such a talented roster. Well, you definitely had a great advocate back here for Paul Riley talking about the job you did as well. It was fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, Abby Dahlkemper, just a rock back there, solidifying the center back position and the balls you serve as well. Talk about uh, that key role as a key defender for the U.S. team, Abby. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, as the girl said, I think it's, um, you know, such an honor and such a great opportunity every time you are able to step on the field, um, you know, with the talented roster we have and, um, you know, uh, being able to uh, play before the World Cup um, on this team, you know, and and get games under my belt um, definitely helped. And, uh, you know, I just tried to stay consistent and help my team in whichever way I can. And, Um, You know, defensively, I think we were really solid, and that starts from the forward line and um, all the way through the team. So um, that was great, and it was an honor to be able to start those games. And Jessica McDonald, you brought us all to tears so often as we followed your social media and your son coming over, a true soccer mom, and your journey, incredible, and playing uh, some quality minutes in that second game as well. Jessica McDonald, as you reflect on being a World Cup champion, having your son there as well, what did it mean to you? It meant the world to me, of course, not only being able to 
represent the best team in the world because it's obviously a dream come true, but to also represent my child, uh, just a human being that obviously I, I take care of that looks up to me day in and day out. And it's an honor to obviously represent the crest on my chest, but also just to see the happiness on his face and being able to experience this because this is big and I'm just happy at the end of the day he's at an age right now he's seven years old where he's going to remember this and hopefully that that moment him holding that trophy is something that's just going to inspire him with whatever it is that he wants to do in the future. Always great spending time with Paul Riley. Paul actually guessed the score 2 nothing five days before the game against Holland as well and broke down all of his players. Paul, first off, talk about what it means for the NWSL to have the USA win their fourth World Cup. Well, it's been amazing for the NWSL to be in the spotlight for all these players to give us the spotlight. I think when you look through the world, the world's best players, most of them obviously were at the World Cup and... Uh, you know, it's, it's every four years and I think we have to do better than every four years we have to do it every year uh, but when they come back to their clubs obviously it's a big part of the club business too to have them back in town and having been able, people in the local area been able to watch them but for the NWSL it's been massive I think and I think you can see the, the difference in the, the ticket sales throughout the league uh, Chicago sold I think 12,000 already for this weekend's game so I think it's been massive plus for the league but we have to continue it and the quality of play they have to bring that quality they showed in France here now and that goes for every player that's in the league um, because you know the teams have done well without them and now they you know I think we want to improve the play even more so and I think uh, it's a big part of the future of the next three or four months and we have the ICC coming here too the best players in the world coming to North Carolina again so it's a great opportunity for these players and I said to Sam this morning that Sam we talked yesterday about 23 games between now and Christmas and I said there's only one game and that's Sunday's game and I think for all four of them and for every other player coming back in the league it's about the next game preparation where there's more recovery more training more sprint work less sprint work uh, more sleep whatever it takes for that one game and just really trying to improve in that one game and they can still grow there's a young team we have a young team these guys besides Jess who's still Come on. No, no. I was going to say going into your prime. Jess is going into her prime. I was just about to say Jess is going into her prime. The rest of them are very young, and uh, I, I think it's a great moment for our club anyway to have such a young team and, and so much talent on the team. And, you know, talk about integration. We talk about integration back into the setup, and I mean, they were brilliant yesterday. They come straight back in, and no questions asked, and just get on with it. And I think that's the difference maybe between ours and maybe some other players in the league. But I want it to be that they come back for every team in the league and that the fans understand how much they care about their club. And I don't think you have to ask them how much they care because the next game Sunday and the whole focus is Sunday now and they've had 10 days to enjoy themselves and they did enjoy themselves and now they're back <laughs> and they're uh, sweating again they were out there sweating yesterday Sam looked at me and he goes oh, it's not easy and that's the way it is you know hard is fun and they'll get on with it again and you know my job is to make sure that every single player sitting up here gets better before the end of the season because there is no finish line they've got to keep pushing forward they've got to keep pushing on I want them to be better I want them to be better players and the World Cup is not the end of their careers it's the start of their careers before we bring uh, Steve Malik and Kurt Johnson up one follow up and you showed it last year at the ICC the work that you did with Steve and Kurt and Scott and your assistant coaches managing the fact that it was a World Cup year and here you have your team sitting in first place. It's pretty phenomenal, Paul, and you did that at the ICC last year. It's part of what you got to do to have the success and stay in first place. Just talk about that. Big thing for us, I think, was 
during the pre and the March and April, the preparation was to get these guys ready for the World Cup. So the environment had to be top level for these guys to be able to prepare themselves for the World Cup, which they did, which all the players in the group did. And now that they've come back, their job is to make sure that every player who've been playing is pushed to their limit and their environment and not to come back and take things for granted because the players that have been playing need still to get better. And they've got better through playing time. And so there needs to be pressure on those jobs from these guys and there needs to be pressure on their jobs from those guys. And, and I think uh, that's what makes a competitive environment. But the team, I thought if we were within five, six points when the World Cup finished, we'd be okay. At least we'd be in the running for it. And it's a little bit better. But I think it's a, a mixture of us doing okay in the last couple of games and, and everybody else just... You know, there's no points difference between anyone. We could be first or we could be sixth. And I don't really care about what position we're in. Uh, I would prefer to be sixth within five, six points. But um, the team's been really good. The energy level's been fantastic. And I think people like Ricaro and Kristen uh, Hamilton and these type of people have really uh, matured into really good soccer players and footballers. And I think that who's the next one? Who's going to be the next player? Is it Kristen Hamilton going to end up leading scorer in the league? And I think there's a great lot of stories about it. But Kristen knows that Jess Mack's back, Crystal's back, and Sammy's back and so Kristen Hamilton has to be better Lynn Williams has to be better I saw Lynn Williams play this morning she was outstanding this morning not that she's not usual but I feel like there's a little extra kick in everybody's stride this week as everybody comes back in so I hope that's good, a good omen yeah, and Christo and, and Sam, if you could just uh, echo the thoughts of winning the World Cup, but then also following your professional team and seeing them have success while you're over in France, what did that mean to you? Yeah, we talked about it all the time when we were away. We were so proud of the team. Um, you know, I'm big on kind of talking smack to my my national team teammates. So whenever we, you know, had a great uh, showing, got got points, I was always, you know, talking smack at <laughs> breakfast the next morning. So, um I think it's a complete weight off our shoulders, I think, knowing that our team was in such great form and just doing so well. And um, players like Kristen Hamilton scoring bomb goals, like doing above and beyond stuff for the team is incredible. This is exactly uh, what we wanted. You know, we, we want our team to be informed so that when we get back, uh, you know, everybody could feel, you know, good and have been in stride already before we all return. Well, <laughs> it is about seizing the moment, not just for the next home game, but for a long time down the road. Of course, we are hosting the ICC. We are hosting the NWSL Championship game. And while you were gone, big announcements on what's happening in Southern Raleigh as well. So so with that, uh, we'd like to bring up uh, two of our fearless leaders, the owner of the North Carolina Courage and North Carolina FC, Steve Malik, and the longtime president and general manager of both clubs, Kurt Johnson. And Steve, so great to have you right next to me. Big announcement. We love the World Cup. The Courage keep winning. Your posts and tweets are awesome as well about seeing the Courage keep going on. But this team is coming back to some exciting times indeed. Uh, so first, I, I just want to say uh, to all of y'all out there that, and, and to these women that we could not be more proud of you. So thank you for representing us to the whole world, and you made us look great. I'm, I'm starting to get used to that, so thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, there is a lot going on, and you know, a lot of, a lot of folks want to talk about uh, our stadium plans and, and development and entertainment district downtown, but I think today you know, we, we ought to be focusing on the club and, and the league. And, and I just say, you know, uh, while the World Cup was going on for the league to announce uh, an ESPN media deal, uh, to be this weekend, you'll be on ESPN2 with a, a big raucous cloud, uh, crowd in Chicago. Um, it's been a big lift for the league, and, uh, and we're so happy 
that uh, that they did dominate yet again uh, on that world stage, and uh, and we do have the best league in the world for. Uh, Budweiser, for instance, to be stepping up, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier that that not only did we get a, a strong, great brand as a national sponsor, but their whole attitude around uh, being a supporter as opposed to being an advertiser um, speaks uh, volumes, and uh, and I think there are lots of others uh, that are coming uh, and uh, and are interested in getting on board and supporting women's soccer, women's professional soccer, the NWSL, and none of that would have happened, frankly, if uh, the whole country and world wouldn't have gotten lifted up by the performance that they just had and the whole team. So we, we're very thankful of that. One thing I will say about the stadium is uh, – as we pursue that uh, Downtown South initiative, uh, we think these women deserve the best facilities in the world, that uh, we need to invest in them, we need to give them the opportunity to continue to grow. Uh, Paul mentioned uh, how young three of them are <laughs> and how we have a player in her prime. Uh, and, uh, and we want to continue to give them every opportunity to get better. We cannot be complacent. The rest of the world is doing their best to catch us. And uh, with us having the best club team, we need to provide them with the best facilities. We need to provide our fans with the opportunities to have entertainment around the game so that they can experience the full benefits of uh, of being a supporter. And so we're excited to have them back, excited for the league, uh, and all of the energy that, uh, that they have brought, not just uh, on the field, but uh, for the cause of equal pay and, uh, and for uh, investment in the women's game. So we thank them for, for making that happen. Great job, Steve Malik and Kurt Johnson. So much still going on tomorrow. Town Council, the governor is going to welcome the team on Friday. The ICC's coming. The NWSL Championship game will be right here. I understand tickets are going well for that as well. Exciting times right here, right now. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that first I want to relay, and I think they know this, but on behalf of all of our staff, I mean, we watched it, you know, on the edge of our seats and we're bursting with pride, literally not only in how you played, but how you went about your business and uh, just the job that you did representing yourselves, your families, um, what you stand for, and us. So we thank you very much for that. Um, let's see. You know, I think the role of, of the front office in an organization like ours is uh, – to be ready to seize these big moments. And, and the work that uh, many people have put in uh, for decades in soccer in our community, uh, for seven, eight years, some of us in the front office, and uh, you know, taken to another level with Steve coming on board and the courage becoming a part of this organization, we have been planning, preparing to be ready for these types of moments. And from our youth to pro pipeline, our club mentality, um, hosting events, women's ICC, the NWSL final, uh, this incredible project, this opportunity that we all have. These are the moments that, uh, that we've been planning for. We have a light uh, shown on our sport, on our club, by these incredible women. Um, we want to fan those flames 
and we want to take advantage of it uh, precisely for the reason that Steve said, to build the best possible club, to provide incredible playing opportunities from the youngest of the recreational players all the way up to the world's best, um, host events, build a culture around it, and stand for the right things as a club. So exciting times. Um, we take it very seriously what we're all doing here, and I uh, can't wait for the weeks and months ahead. One more question for our superstars, then I hope you'll have your questions ready, and we'll have Abby Dahlkemper kind of be the lead on this. And, Abby, you talk about this whirlwind, winning the World Cup, doing the ticker tape parade, everything that's associated with it, and you come back to a team that's in first place. You see this stadium and the announcement that the team made while you were in France as far as the future, a stadium that you could be playing in in four or five years. What do you think it means to this club and to you? It's exciting times, and I think, uh, you know, winning the World Cup obviously was so special and, and so, you know, such a cool experience um but you know coming back into this environment um this club uh world class you know um front office coaches players um you know it's excitement i think uh is the word that comes to mind and um you know seeing this project and uh we kind of ran through you know the pictures and the ideas of of what they had in the proposals um amazing and um you know we're we're really excited about the opportunity that um could be and um you know, I think that's so cool that, uh, you know, soccer is kind of moving forward and, and getting this light shown on um, us and, and the club and, um, you know, the area. So um, just, I think, excitement. Time to open up for questions. And the first question was about being role models for young girls across the country. As a mom, I think it's something that's absolutely incredible because like you said, we're huge role models for these girls. And when it comes to equality, especially, we're here to kind of put our put our foot down on that. And obviously being a successful club, being a successful USA team in the World Cup, I mean, this is the start of something big, something historical. And this is something these little girls want to be a part of. And for them to be able to see us live and in action, that's something really cool. And imagine actually meeting your role models as well because we're very good at meeting the fans after the games and you know, we we get all the feedback from all the little kids out there. And just to see a smile on their face, that's life-changing. These kids are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. They're going to remember the World Cup championship for the rest of their lives. They're going to remember meeting the NC Courage ladies that played in the World Cup. And not only that, but won an ICC tournament that won an NWSL championship, that won an NWSL Shield. I mean, the list goes on. And to be able to see that live and in action... That's something big and something really cool and something that's going to inspire them in the future. So that's very important for for little kids. That was Jessica McDonald answering the question about being role models. The next question came from Neil Morris asking why it seems like more than ever, every member of the U.S. women's team is talking about the importance of NWSL. Sam Mewis addressed it first. Well, I just think we all know that the league is the future. Um, This is where we live. This is where we train every day. And this environment is really where we improve the most. It's where we um, are, like, actively improving ourselves in our soccer. So um, I think everyone on the national team knows that the NWSL is one of our top priorities to um, continue to maintain and improve. And if we can have any influence on continuing to just grow the league – show the fans what soccer is all about add new fans it's gonna just continue to push soccer in the whole country so um we all really really want the league to do well and we feel very fortunate to be a part of the courage where um 
we have the, the best environment to train where I feel like I get better every day here. Um, and I think it's just been in the conversation a lot because we all know how important it is. Crystal Dunn also responded to that question. Yeah, I think this last World Cup was really powerful. Um, you know, I think women's soccer has now or should be out of the state of, you know, is women's soccer worth it? Are we, you know, is it worth the investment? And I think now the new conversation is how are we going to propel ourselves in the new direction? And I think, um, you know, us winning the World Cup is incredible. It's, it's, you know, it was viewed by so many people. And I think obviously us coming back into this environment is just as powerful for people to be able to go into their backyard and be able to see amazing soccer. And I think, um, you know, the more we can just continue pushing the fact that we are worth it, women's soccer is exactly where uh, the money should be flowing into. It's, it's exactly where the stadium should be put. And it's, it's important that we just continue the conversation of we're past the whole, are we worth it? You know, it's about pushing us more and more. And as Sam said, the league is so important. It was... It's where everyone develops. It's where everyone spends most of their time getting better. And, you know, we have to protect it. We have to continue um, making it better in any way we can. The next question from a member of the media at the press conference came from a young woman who asked all four of the USA superstars, was there a moment that led you to believe that you could play for the USA and play at the highest level in the NWSL? Sam Mewis addressed it first. Crystal and I played in three youth World Cups together, and I think that was obviously the youth national teams were um, really beneficial experiences. But really just starting out at the club level, um, which I know we have such a good relationship with our youth club teams and um, just having that experience of training every day and to get better. And um, then Abby and I went to college together. I think that was an amazing environment for both of us to improve. So um, really just kind of like moving up step by step from club to college to to hear. Crystal Dunn is your next voice to answer that question, followed by Abby Dahlkemper. I mean, there's no correct route to get to the pro level. I think that's what's incredible about when you do make it as a pro. Like everything that's happened before doesn't really matter. You know, me and Sam gone through the you know three youth World Cups together. That was our route. Some people have never made a youth roster ever, still making it in the pros and they're still dominating the game. I think at the end of the day, it's really about investing in yourself and wherever, uh, however you end up in the pro world, it's about taking time to really say, am I happy where I am or do I want to get better? Um, so I think that's what's incredible really about our sport is there's no one path. There's, you know, there's no one correct way. Uh, now you're seeing people go overseas or leaving college earlier. That's going to be probably a new era in the next coming years. But at the end of the day, it's really about your own personal investment and um, choosing what's, what's best for yourself. There is a point, I think, where you have to, you know, really dedicate um, and sacrifice a lot um, in our lives, our personal lives, um, to try and make our goals, you know, reality. And I think, you know, every one of us sitting up here um, would say that hopefully our goal one day would be to play at the highest level to represent our country in a, at a world stage. So I think definitely um, a lot of sacrifice and I think, you know, time and effort and um, our social lives maybe like got hindered a little bit but yeah exactly so um no but I think 
you know, and it, it helps having these group of girls up here. And, you know, we've been through so much and we're so thankful for that. But, you know, it also takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work. And, you know, even the girls on, on the courage too. Um, you know, we're playing in the best league in the world and, um, you know, they have to sacrifice so much too. So um, it helps having a, a group of, of strong women and, and kind of doing the same thing to support each other. And I think that's really important. The next question was about what it meant to lift that trophy after all they had overcome, dealing with some pushback on the celebrations, dealing with some injuries, dealing with the pressure of playing France, what it was like to then hold that trophy with the fourth World Cup title. I mean, it's an indescribable feeling because obviously we took it one game at a time. It's like, okay, we beat Thailand, get that out of the way. We're focused on the next game. And so just going from... January, where the rest of the world was kind of worried about the USA women's national team to us, we were just worried about ourselves, our bubble, the process, and how we were going to peak at the right time into the World Cup, and all the hard work that we had put into to hoist that trophy up. It was almost a sense of relief, but also we were all just overwhelmed with joy, I guess you can say, and for not only for all of us to make the roster, which is a complete dream come true to represent your country in the World Cup, but to also raise that trophy. I mean, that's a one of a kind feeling that it, it's kind of indescribable, to be honest. I mean, I don't think there's really any other way to really describe how amazing of a feeling it truly was at the end of the day. That answer right there came from Jessica McDonald. She would also take the next question directed at her about how the NWSL indeed helped her get a spot on the national team. Times have definitely changed from now in comparison to, let's say, the 99 team. Um, I just say that they've given a lot of us chances to play at the World Cup. I mean, there's just a large list of different types of women with different types of strengths and, and weaknesses that they bring onto the field. And to get picked at the end of the day, I mean, it was pretty much a relief for me and almost shocking, to be honest, because I just didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, this summer for me. And um, I think it's just great to see how diverse the team is. I mean, you have just so many different personalities on and off the field, but to be able to create such a great dynasty and put all that together, I think it's just sort of a phenomenal thing to, to see and to obviously be a part of. The next question was directed to Crystal Dunn, who, if you remember, was the last cut for the 2015 World Cup team. She would go on to make the Olympics and obviously made this World Cup team was the starting left back. She was asked if finally appearing in a World Cup, if it exceeded her expectations. Yeah, good question. I mean, yeah, it was quite interesting. Um, you know, I have a bunch of caps with the national team. It was my first World Cup playing a very strenuous uh, position on the field. And I think for me, I just took it one, uh, one game at a time. I think each game to sum up the whole World Cup provided uh, many challenges. You know, the Thailand winning 13-0, then, you know, all the, the media about, you know, uh, celebrating that kind of thing. And then Chile, obviously, having so much rotation, it was incredible um, that we were so deep going into the World Cup. Sweden, there's always the Sweden-USA kind of dilemma. And then, you know, knockout rounds start. And I think, for me personally, I always felt like all I can do is put in max effort and, you know, play my role to my best ability. That's always what got me through, what, what made me feel most confident was knowing that, 
you know, I went into every game thinking I'm going to impact the game. I know I'm going to do something that is going to potentially help the team score a goal, assist a goal, things like that. And, you know, there was not really so many surprises, I would say. I always knew the World Cup was never going to be easy. So, you know, got, got in there and found out that it wasn't easy, you know. And, um, uh, you know, so I think I was mentally prepared already being in with the national team for seven years now. I always felt like these girls have always prepared me to be at my best. And, you know, training with elite players, you're always going to become an elite player. Um, so I, you know, no real surprises, I would tell you. I think just me uh, putting my head down, digging deep, and trying to be at my best every game was was challenging, but it was it was incredible, obviously, to be in the end lifting that, that trophy. The next question from the media was another good one, asking the players to address the whirlwind that ensued after winning the World Cup, the ticker tape parade, the ESPYs, all of the interviews, and everything that went with it. And I think you'll appreciate the answer from Samantha Mewis. I thought it was the best answer of the day. It was obviously like a huge whirlwind. I, I don't think we, I, I don't think I maintained any composure in <laughs> celebrating at all, at all. But it, I mean, it was it was incredible and like kind of a once in a lifetime thing. So you just really wanted to soak it all in and enjoy it. And um, it was funny, like we got our hair and makeup done on the plane from New York to LA before the SBs, and like nobody could shower f- since the parade. So it was kind of like gross. <laughs> and we just, we really just had to like enjoy it and soak it all in, like I said, and just kind of like experience it together. And even though we were really tired, we kind of knew that it was going to be worth it for all these memories we were going to have and um, so I mean I think it was great and we were all really excited to get back here to North Carolina because this is like where our routine is and where our team is and um, just being back already I feel so much better I'm like sleeping well I saw everything so much better so um, we're really happy to be back but it was obviously a whirlwind and a ton of fun but I'm glad that we're home. The next question from the media was about perhaps knowing their opposition better in the NWSL, the foreign players, and even their teammates. And Jessica McDonald kind of basically said, hey, we already know them. Well, to be honest, we kind of already knew all these players going in in the first place because we play against them every weekend in the NWSL. And so we know a lot of people's weaknesses and, and their strengths, but... Bottom line, for the courage, we focus on ourselves more so than anything and what we're going to do as a team. And so we try not to worry about individuals. But, of course, if we shut them down, then, you know, maybe the team will lack something. And so as long as we work on our strengths and fix our weaknesses, then that's what's going to help continue us to be a successful team. The next question from the media was about knowing that several companies are stepping up to give money toward the league, the Budweiser sponsorship, other companies congratulating the members of the U.S. women's team. The question was, hey, what's the best use of that money? And they all took a shot, starting with Crystal Dunn. I'd love some nice commercials or something. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm trying to be like (laughs) promoting the league. Like, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, you know, when we talk about money pouring into to the league, obviously, you know, salaries, you know, players getting paid even more, like things like that. And I think, you know, there's just so many ways that money can actually be beneficial. It's not only money in pockets. It's, you know, facilities. It's uh, gear. It's, it's just really anything that 
makes you feel like a true professional. And I think that's what's most important is a lot of people talk about, we need more money, we need more money. And it's not necessarily just money in pockets. It's just money flowing where people feel like this is my job. And in order for me to be at my best, I need to come into a facility that makes my standards even rise higher as a professional athlete. And um, and it's just, it, the list can go on. You know, every little bit matters. And I think that's what is most important is that any little bit that someone's willing to do is incredible. It goes a long way. Sam Mewis was next. Then you'll hear Abby Dahlkemper and Jessica McDonald. Yeah, just to echo that, I think the TV deal is really important. Um, I think continuing to raise the minimum salaries is really important. Um, continuing to, to make this a really professional atmosphere. And I think we do a great job here at The Courage. And the league in general can continue to push those things forward in, in the league front office. And um, we're very grateful. I mean, this is our seventh season. It's awesome. But we want this to get better. We want it to grow. Um, and I think there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes um, with both the NWSL and the National Team Players Associations to push those things along. And hopefully this um, in the coming months, a lot more things are improved and continue to get pushed. I agree with what Sam said, but uh, I think, you know, kind of closing that gap from the teams that maybe need a little bit more support to, you know, the top teams and kind of mirroring what, you know, um, they're doing. And uh, I think my the biggest thing for me is just uh, making sure that, like, all the girls that play professional soccer feel like, you know, this is their sole job and that uh, their salaries are something that, you know, they can be sustained and, and live off of. And so I think, you know, raising the money that comes in there and, um, you know, and I think the other thing, too, is just making the, the league feel, uh, you know, secure and, like, it's thriving, that it's, you know, moving in a positive direction. I think that's really important. And I th- think also, too, is, um, you know, cr- creating um, these fans that not only come every four years and, you know, there's a huge hype every couple of months um, at, right after the World Cup, but continuing, you know, to sell out games and, and hopefully create, you know, lifelong soccer fans. I think marketing would be a, a big thing for the NWSL. Um, as you guys probably know, I've, I've played in a lot of teams in this league and I've heard from a lot of these cities people don't even know that they even have a professional women's soccer team I just made a post yesterday about like my first day being back with these girls with the courage and someone literally messaged me saying they live 30 minutes away from here didn't even know that they had a women's team here so I think if we can market a little bit better because I've heard that one too many times throughout my career if we just market a little bit better I think that would definitely help with salaries and, and things like that for the players. And so that's definitely one big thing that we can definitely change in this league. Great questions and uh, some final comments. First of all, Sam Mewis, your take on the whirlwind and, and everything about it and then your comfort back here was uh, heartwarming. I love that answer. Phenomenal. <laughs> Paul Riley, I'd love to for you to answer the question from this nice young man talking about the NWSL's impact on the national team, reminding everybody that probably the Courage had eight players in the top 30 for the U.S. pool, including player number 24. We also had three other players that played for New Zealand, Brazil, and Canada as well to give you an idea of the impact the league has made on not just our national team but other national teams and Paul I'd like you to to comment on that uh, what the NWSL means for the strength of our national team and other national teams well I think a lot of the players have talked about the NWSL and what it does for the players and the competitive environment it gives the players and I think somebody in the, the asked the question was how does it help the league and how does the league help the players to me that the season needs to be a little bit longer 
I think we need to a longer season so they can stay in a competitive environment for 10 months as opposed to eight months. So I think it's something that we would try to, to move towards um, because I think this is where, and I think the, the Jill Ellis understands that this is where they're training 90% of the time. So if they're training 90% of the time, then put everything into that environment, make that environment better, more full-time people, uh, uh, more sports science people, more performance people. Uh, so we can, you know, again, keep educating and keep being, get being better than the rest of the world because they are getting better. There's no question the rest of the world's catching up. I don't, use, I don't like using catching up. They're getting better, so it's, it's in order for us to improve. The best way to improve to make more competition, more teams in the league, uh, I think we need to expand maybe a little bit, but we need a longer season. Uh, we need to be able to give them an extra couple of months of training so they can stay in a really competitive environment. Uh, the NWSL, you know, talk about the best league in the world. For me, it's the most competitive league in the world. I want it to be the best league in the world, and that takes everybody, all the clubs, to be able to push on, uh, not just two or three clubs. We can't afford to be carrying two or three clubs it needs everybody on board and everyone in the league needs to help everybody and you know I want to see the, 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 the parity of the league continue because it's, it's no good for anybody I tell them all the time that you know every game is really important in this league and there's hard games when you play Sky Blue it's a hard game and I want that to continue I don't want that not to continue I think it's important for these guys it's improving for their competitiveness to be able to improve and uh, I don't know if I answered the question, but that's what I think. <laughs> Kurt, real quick, as you uh, reflect on the answers from our superstars and Paul and even Steve and the well-informed questions of our media, what's your takeaway here on another great day? Well, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the position we're in, and I am also uh, feel the urgency to, for it to be better. You know, in all the different ways that were articulated here, we can't rest. We can't. We're not there. You know, we. Uh, they won an incredible trophy, but we have to create uh, and continue to stay. Uh, be leaders. You know, we've been leaders in Title IX in this community, UNC, NC State, Duke, et cetera, et cetera, with their women's programs. Uh, we've been leaders when we initially built this almost two decades ago, this facility. Been leaders in youth soccer, youth tournaments, uh, college recruiting, um, opportunities, showcasing talent. Uh, the list goes on and on. But the entire country has moved forward. They're building, you know, incredible state-of-the-art, world-class facilities for their male and female players. And... For us to continue to have a top uh, women's team to create an environment where they want to be here and can thrive here, the best of the best, we've got to continue to move this forward. Otherwise, if you're not moving it forward, uh, you're falling behind. And uh, I think we can be uh, continue to be leaders for multiple decades. It has been so important for this community. The, the championships that UNC has won, the programs that NC State and Duke have had, uh, the women that have come through those programs, we've got more to do to, to stay at that level and to, to provide a, a great environment for, uh, for these women and men. And Steve, final comments from you as you reflect on the fact you said you were going to bring a winner here. They won everything last year. are going to try to do it again this year. And, of course, these fine members that won the fourth World Cup for our country. My feelings, having heard your questions and their answers, are uh, just even I'm more inspired to serve them. 
they're pioneers here in the work that they do. Look at them. They're all sitting up here sweating. They just had a practice. <laughs> and then they're, they're uh, smiling and answering your questions. Um, you know, uh, they're great for the game. Uh, it's great to win a World Cup. Uh, a lot of talk here about NWSL. I'm chairman of the executive committee, and, and, and I'm doing that extra work because I want to work hard to accomplish all of those things that, that they said in service to them and, and their goals. Um, you know, we want to be the best. You're right. I said that. Um, and I think, you know, what you hear from all of us up here is we're willing to work for that, and, uh, and, and we, we want to earn it. It tastes so much so much better when you've earned it, and uh, so we're out there doing that on behalf of our community and and for them, our country. So uh, couldn't be more proud. A special thank you to the North Carolina Courage, Marco Rosa, Jorge Acuna, and also Kyle Lang from Triangle Video Productions for doing such a great job at the press conference and giving us the audio so you can hear. also want to thank Stephen Goff from the Washington Post, Mike Knipper, Sean Chevro, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. I'm Dean Linke reminding you, first week of August, we will come every week with the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Have a great week everybody. So long.